Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of The Background Scoop. I'm your host, DJ Stavropoulos, part-time background actor here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks so much for tuning in. In this episode, I talk about doing a bank robbery scene, standing in for an actor on Ordinary Joe, a garden party in Buckhead, playing a lawyer in a courtroom, and how much I really loved how Hawkeye came out. I am clearly seen as a threat walking past Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld in the snow. Warning, I also talk about how my dog Sugar died just before Christmas and the pros and cons of letting your pet go naturally versus having them euthanized. Finally, I got my first line in a film for an independent filmmaker, which was nothing like the background work I've done. I also auditioned to play a South Carolina lawyer in the late 19th century, and I attended two workshops at Alliance Theater and am registered for an acting class that starts in January 2022. I'll get started after the break. It's Sunday, December 5th, 2021. I just finished two days on a Netflix movie called The Outlaws. It's another case of something I'd never heard of and knew nothing about until I actually got there. In retrospect, I wish I had accepted opportunities on this earlier because it was a lot of fun and I learned a lot. And that's not always the case. For starters, my fitting went totally haywire. I tested once and then tested again and fitted on the second day of testing. But when I arrived, I was not on their list. Central Casting had sent extra people, and these extra people had not had clothing pre-selected, and they were running out of stuff. The wardrobe girl was a bit flustered and said they'd pay me for the fitting, but that I'd have to go home. So I asked if they would just fit me on the day of filming, and she said there wouldn't be any filming for me, that my two-day job would be canceled. Really? I had to think fast on my feet. I didn't argue with her, but it took a few minutes to grasp exactly what it was she was trying to tell me. Then her boss appeared, looked at me, and said, quote, Oh, I can find you a suit. You're about a 40, right? Unquote. 38 regular. Problem solved. And then when she left, the girl told me that her boss had just told her to send people away, which is why she tried to do that to me. But I guess for whatever reason, her boss decided that I was worth having in the movie. You just never know what synchronicity will bring to your life. I asked a wardrobe girl whether it was a TV show or a movie, movie, and when it takes place in the present. Are we robots? I wondered why we would all be wearing identical suits. No, we're not robots, and it's a comedy. The call time was not crazy at 8 a.m., but it moved to 9 a.m. the first day. The second day, it was 5.48 a.m., but moved to 6.48. And then I forgot to have a friend pick up sugar from boarding, which closes at 5 on Saturdays. So she ended up there three nights when it could have been just one. As usual, I ran into lots of friends. I think my acting network has grown exponentially over the past two years. I'm now having people saying hello to me by name, and sometimes I have to respond with a quizzical look and apologize as I fumble through the Rolodex in my head, trying to place them and retrieve their name. Let's see. Andrew from The Wonder Years. Andrew from The Ballet, this time with his girlfriend, Emily, whom I only know from Instagram. Pamela from Ordinary Joe, my second wife, and an Asian woman from Clover, both of whom, whose names I still don't know, and Raven, whom I met on Dynasty a few years back, but I still don't think she knows who I am. Plus, some Netflix people from Red Notice, including Heidi and Richard 
her makeup. And this other guy who looks just like Richard Blaze from Top Chef. I looked at Heidi's name tag to confirm it was her and said practically in her face, yes, it's Heidi from Red Notice, but I believe she didn't recognize me out of costume. She was my gatekeeper for the days that I body doubled as Soto Voce. I officially met two new people. They were customers at my desk. The gentleman's name I didn't get, but he was there with his real wife and had a bit of a German accent. The woman's name is Kathleen and her last name rhymes with little. She was fascinating. And for a few minutes of pantomime bantering with them, she asked me if I was an actor. Well, aren't we all actors, I replied. And then she clarified herself by saying that some of us are doing this as a living and pursuing acting while others have other professions. I sucked to my guns and said that I was still considered an actor, even though I had another job. My personal belief is that if you don't call yourself an actor, you won't do as good a job. Kate looks like a small Nicole Kidman, and she's a real actor from Asheville, North Carolina. We had lots to talk about. The usual TMI stuff I dump all over people that I've just met. Divorce, my gay soon-to-be ex-husband, where I live, what I do, etc. One of her first comments after asking if I were an actor was, you're funny. As if I had some special sauce she hadn't experienced before. Thanks, Kate. If you're listening, this is my public announcement to look out for Miss Riddle on your jobs and engage with her when you find her. She has curly reddish hair. Oh, I almost forgot that there was a point to all of this. I learned some new things and I'll recount them after the break. Thanks for coming back. Sometimes people just stop listening with no good reason. You are not one of them. So here's why The Outlaws was so super califragilisticexpialidocious. Five reasons. First, although I worked for two banks for at least 14 years combined and did consulting work at two others for another two years, I never worked at a branch. So it was fun to sit at a desk in the lobby and pretend to be a banker. When I first had to engage with Kate and her fake husband, they were upset about something and all I could deliver was more bad news. Interest rates had jumped to 18% since our last take and there was nothing I could do about it. I made a few fake calls to my manager, but we stood our ground. Take it or leave it, suckers. If you don't like it, you can pretend to take your business elsewhere. I was moved around a few times from one desk to another. One of my manila folders actually had a real SunTrust document in it, which surprised me. I actually used to work there. Another desk had white out tape, which I have never used. Emily showed me how it's done. Really? In this day and age, people still use white out? For what purposes? Mistakes, obviously but I fixed those electronically and then reprint whatever I messed up. At my first desk, there was also a book of blank checks, some of which I wrote out to my fake customer. And then I took one home and thought about depositing it just to see what happens. But somebody warned me that I'd probably be charged a $35 overdraft fee, so I decided not to do that. Number two, I've never been part of a bank robbery. We all know how these go because they are classically portrayed the same way over and over again in TV and film. Someone comes in with a gun and tells everyone to get down and then takes money and leaves. It was actually fun being part of this, although you can only crawl under your desk or down on the floor so many times before it gets old. And forget about the screaming. As usual, the director told us to scream. 
and, as usual, only the women did. Do people not realize that to ask a man to scream is ridiculous? What guy screams or knows how to scream? I ran into this on The Walking Dead and told you all I was going to get home and practice, but I never did. So here I was once again, unable to scream, so I didn't. I think if I did, it would be a deep, guttural thing, not a high-pitched, blood-curdling one. When I'm scared or surprised, I tend to gasp instead, as Cameron knows, because he loves to scare me. He just sort of did again with a birthday avatar, jumping out of a box to say happy birthday. My avatar was literally wearing his tan corduroy coat, which I still have, and it looked as if his avatar was wearing my new Gap jean jacket, but he insisted it was his. My avatar was definitely surprised and probably scared. Number three, I have never been confronted with comedy until now. Think of the best Saturday Night Live skit you have ever seen. The one that makes you roll with laughter and nearly pee your pants. Now think of what it would be like to be in that skit, but not be able to laugh. It's very, very hard. The principal actress, Lauren Lapkus, was in my face ad-libbing some very funny material. And instead of laughing, I had to pretend I was afraid of her. No easy task. The more we shot the scene, the more refined it got. And because she kept attacking the same people, we pretty much knew what was coming. That made it a little bit easier, but it wasn't any less funny the fifth time around. And they did one take from behind her, so there's a chance you're going to see my face head on. Four, the shaving thing I have finally figured out. I've told you I no longer take roles that require me to shave, but this one I took. I was booked and then Central texted me to ask if I was okay to shave, and I said, sure, I know the drill. I shaved the night before, and it takes a full three weeks to grow it back. But this time, I decided to not shave before and just show up with my razor. Why not let them first see my beautiful beard and then decide whether they didn't want me to have it? Plus, it might make them feel bad to force me to shave it off on the spot. Ironically, the call time email said something like, if you have a beard, bring your razor and be prepared to shave because they will not shave you. So this worked out in my favor. No shaving, and I still have my beautiful beard, which I love dearly. And five, I usually remember everyone I meet, but sometimes people I've never met remember meeting me. I don't know how this works, some type of memory recall defect. Maybe they've seen me and just think they met me. I was talking to Pamela in line and telling her that Nika, whom we both met on Ordinary Joe, had reached out for some real estate help. Then this guy in line named Eric starts asking me if there are condos in Atlanta priced around $100,000. He then told me we had met on other sets and that he'd prefer to use someone he knows. That certainly makes sense when you're selecting a real estate agent to work with. But it didn't make any sense here because he really doesn't know me. Perhaps listening to me and Pamela catch up somehow translated into him knowing me or at least knowing of me. Anyway, I gave him my card and we chatted very briefly and he may or may not ever reach out. The point is, it's certainly possible that I can forget someone I've met. And if that happens, I'll give them the benefit of doubt. I won't force them to prove it by telling me where and when and consider them certifiably insane until they do so. So Eric, please reach out because the more we talk, the more you will really, really know me. 
Not that this is relevant, but I just returned from a trip up north to my hometown in Massachusetts, where I haven't been in five years. Leave it to the pandemic and Zoom to convince you that if you have a conference call with your family every six to nine months, there's no reason to fly there to see them. Zoom is much cheaper. And when you've had enough, you can just pretend your internet went out and leave the call. My 40-year high school reunion was a trip, not exactly what I expected, but I'm glad I went. I feel as if I was able to reconnect with people in a very different way at this point in my life and made some new friends. Tim Bushy, I'm talking about you. After I gave him my elevator speech, he walked away very quickly without giving me the chance to ask about him. But we're Facebook friends now, so I'll figure it out along the way. And he's a big Doom Patrol fan. I have to say that renting a car and staying in a hotel for two of the three nights made all the difference in the world. I think this has been the best trip home I've ever had. I cannot stand sleeping in other people's beds and feeling stranded in their homes when I don't have my own wheels. The new MGM Casino in Springfield, Mass. is like a piece of Las Vegas in my hometown. And the relatively new Dr. Seuss Museum was even more interesting. I'm a kid at heart but I think you already knew that. Thanks again to Laura and Maura for planning the reunion. Laura is secretly interested in doing background acting up in Boston and may actually subscribe to this podcast to learn from my experiences. I'm doing stand-in on Ordinary Joe this week and I'm back on The Resident next week, so you'll hear all about those in future segments. And then I think I'm done for the year. 52 projects and about $17,000 to show for it. Uh, so today is Thursday, December 9th, 2021. I am recording this on the fly, which I typically don't do, but I didn't want to have to write out a whole paragraph about Ordinary Joe, which I stood in on yesterday. Very easy day. Um, I stood in for a new character named Dennis, who I had to look up. And call time was first 4.30, then 5.30. We were there at 11.30, so it was only six hours. And I literally worked probably 30 minutes in the very last scene of the day. Uh, they gave me the sides and I memorized them. It was just a few sentences, but I somehow lost it on the way home. So this is from memory. Um, basically, I'm standing there with rock star Joe and Uncle Frank comes in and says, hey, Dennis. And I say, hey, Frank. And he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, personal delivery, one fully restored 1979 Porsche Turbo 930 in some flavor of red, and she's purring. And then um, I think I give the keys to Joe, or Joe gives the keys to me. Oh, Joe says, uh, do you want to do the honors? And I'm like, uh, sure, boss. And we walk out. But of course, I didn't walk out because I was just standing in. Um, and I got to meet Serene, who is the administrator of the Facebook backgrounder group. Um, so that was nice. And that's it. And then um, next week is crazy. Um, I did not plan on this happening and it's not supposed to happen because I'm only supposed to be working one day a week. But I'm doing um, The Resident on Tuesday. I'm doing, um, I can't even keep track with this. Oh, between the fittings and the tests overlapping, like two things today, two things tomorrow, one thing Saturday, two things Monday. 
and then it slows down a bit. So anyway, uh, filming The Resident on Tuesday, filming Candy on Thursday, and I've got a featured role on Young Rock on Friday. So I've never done Candy or Young Rock, so those will be new things. Candy is actually way down at Atlanta Metro Studios, down 85, which is where I filmed Red Notice just over a year ago. And I think Young Rock is actually at Black Hall, which is only four miles from my house, so that's super close. So uh, should be a good week. Um, unfortunately, Sugar is going downhill very quickly, and so um, she can't even stand up anymore, unfortunately. So uh, my baby's only going to be around for probably two or three more weeks, and then we'll have to say goodbye. That's it. Today is Saturday, December 11th, 2021. I don't normally share super personal stories, but this one is relevant to acting. Whether you know it or not, a good actor draws from their own life when creating a character and infusing it with the emotions needed for the role. If you haven't experienced something yourself, it's hard to make that up. My dog Sugar died yesterday, not quite suddenly, but totally unexpected nonetheless. I have been dreading this for months since my first whippet lasted until her 17th birthday and we made the painful decision to do an in-home euthanasia on that date back in March 2013. It was all planned out so we knew exactly where and when she would take her last breath. I hated having to make that decision and in retrospect realized that my weakness had prolonged her life unnecessarily to the point where her quality of life was not even there. This time, I really, really, really wanted Sugar to go naturally, and that's exactly what happened. However, I'm not sure the shock of experiencing this is any better than making the decision to euthanize your dog and have it all planned out. When I picked her up from boarding at the vet two days ago, two vet techs came out to talk to me and explain that she wasn't behaving normally, that she was just laying there and not even sitting up in her crate. This was unusual to them, and they suggested we do a full exam with blood work. I said, okay, how about next Tuesday when I drop her off for boarding? They expressed no urgency, but when I got home, I discovered that she couldn't even stand up. Why hadn't they just told me that? Did they not know? This vet in particular has this odd way of miscommunicating or not communicating whatever it is they're trying to tell you. So I called them back, and they had no earlier openings and suggested that if I were really concerned, I take her to St. Francis's emergency room, which I did not do because it didn't seem super urgent to me. Instead, for the next 24 hours, I simply had one extra task to do. I had to hold sugar up at her food bowl so she could eat and drink, and then do the same outside so she could pee and poop, which she did quite well once she understood why I was holding her up. At 5 a.m. yesterday, she started yelping and got me up three times within about 15 minutes. First to pee, then to poop, and then to eat. Once this was all done, I brought her upstairs and laid her on some towels on the other side of my bed so I could sleep until 6 a.m., my normal waking time. That all worked out well. When I got up, I brought her downstairs and put her on the couch where she remained for the rest of her life. Note that I'm babysitting Diesel, our other whippet, while Cameron is in Las Vegas for the weekend. I went out at 10 a.m. to run one errand. I had to be fitted at Black Hall Studios just five miles away. When I got back, Sugar wasn't on the couch. I ran around thinking, how on earth did she get off the couch if she can't even stand up? And then I saw her body on the floor as if she had slipped or fallen off. Her eyes were glazed over and her bluish purplish tongue was hanging out. 
I immediately lifted her back onto the couch, having no idea whether she was still alive. To confuse the situation, both her front and rear legs immediately extended as if she was doing a big stretch, which in my mind said she was still alive. But when I listened to her chest, there was no heartbeat. Death is not an all or nothing instantaneous event. I believe that several things happen over the course of five to 10 minutes. And this was her body's muscles doing involuntary things as she passed. I definitely knew she was gone when I picked her up and brought her outside. Her bladder opened up and dripped all over the floor, even though I had a diaper on her. She was totally limp and lifeless. When we euthanized my first dog, the cremation people arrived and took her away, so I never lifted her up and had no idea what that would feel like. It feels awful. There's nothing to them, just totally limp. I put her down in the grass and cried over her for a few minutes and said a prayer. I took some photos of us and made a short video of me talking over her, which is quite difficult to watch. Long story short, I'm very sad that she's gone, but happy that she went naturally. Just know that if you go this route, you really have no control over when and where it will happen, so you have to be prepared. Cameron and I had just talked on Thursday night about making plans to say goodbye at some point over the next few weeks, although I really wanted to spend Christmas with her. That's not going to happen, but Diesel will be here with me, and I'm also very grateful that he's here this weekend to spend time with me and provide the joy and energy of a much younger whippet running around my house. I'm supposed to write up Christmas cards today and finish decorating, but it's one of those days where you just want to sit around watching movies and drinking hot cocoa while you reminisce about the wonderful life you and your dog had together. In about six months, I'll consider getting another one, most likely a boy this time, and I'll name him Applejack. It's Thursday, December 16th, 2021. I am way, way, way behind. I normally record these the day after I work a job, but here we are three days after the resident filming of season five, episode 13 on Monday this week. This show is so much more fun to do when you are not at the fake hospital in Conyers. Instead, we were in someone's backyard on Tuxedo Road at a party in the spring, although it was 30 degrees out and we felt it. Here's what I learned. One, always dress warm and bring hot hands. I have never been this cold on any set. There were no heaters at our first holding tent at 6 a.m. It's a good thing I wore a coat over my suit, but I had no gloves and my toes were freezing as well. I should have worn thermal underwear. Two, ladies, be wary of heels in wet grass. My partner for most of the day, Josephina, kept complaining about how her heels were sinking into the lawn, making it virtually impossible for her to move. She was essentially aerating the lawn with every step she took, and they were covered with mud. At one point, she swapped them out for something more practical. Even my black wingtips got soiled, and I had to thoroughly clean them and polish them once I got home. Three, a short day is a relative term. The central casting email assured us that it would be a short day and that we'd be done by lunch. But when the hell is lunch? 12 noon? 4 p.m.? In the film world, lunch means something completely different. It actually means six to eight hours after crew call time. And we don't know what crew call time is because it's one of the many secrets kept from background until we ask someone. Plus, the email left out a very important word. The word not. It went on to say that the crew would be packing up their stuff and moving to a different location for shooting later 
in the day and that we would be required for the second scene. This confused everyone. We can't be done early by lunch if we're also required for this second scene. We talked about this all day long and everyone rightly assumed that the email actually meant to say we are not needed for the second scene. Four, I ran into people I knew, of course. Juan, Carrie, Becky, and Josefina. I met someone new named Lisa, who I barely recognized from the Facebook Backgrounders group. And I really honed in on getting to know Josefina better. Recall that we had met on the staircase this past summer, but I don't think she remembered me. I had to remind her of the weird story she told me about eating a whole jar of Nutella and feeling sick. Well, it turns out she is Italian, but was born in Canada and raised in Venezuela. Hence, she has a South American accent. Her name is spelled the Italian way. It's a good thing I didn't try to look her up on LinkedIn because it's spelled just like the Italian name Joseph, which is Giuseppe, except it's the female version, which is technically Giuseppina, G-I-U-S-E-P-P-I-N-A, but she pronounces it Josephina. Anyway, she's also trained in dentistry and orthodontics, but cannot practice here in the States without going through additional training here. Anyway, she had on this really cool robin's egg blue pantsuit, which also got a bit muddy at one point as her muddy foot somehow smeared all over one of the pant legs. I was immediately reminded of Nutella. Like my delve deeper with Kelly J on the Wonder Years a few months ago, it takes being paired with someone for the day and talking their ear off to really get to know them. We are both working on Young Rock tomorrow and Ordinary Joe Saturday. Five, finally, I am so tired of these inconsistent voucher processes. Not every project at Central Casting uses digital vouchers. The resident uses paper, but you never get a paper voucher when you get tested. So after three tests, one fitting and one day of filming, I finally got a voucher, but it was missing one test. The AD checking us out claimed she had done that one separately, whatever that means, just to get me to leave. She was obviously lying because when I got home, there was no digital voucher for that test. I had to call Central Payroll, open a ticket, and start that process. Can't these people just make our lives easier? And now I have the same exact issue with Candy, which I was supposed to film today. The shooting got moved to Friday, and I have a conflict. I texted two people at Casting Taylor Made to ask about how I would get vouchers since I had already tested and fitted and not received one. No response. I know Candy uses RABS, but if you don't set me up in RABS, I have no way to see or approve my vouchers. Another nightmare in the works. Once again, I am tempted to work only with Central to avoid the complexity of these payroll issues with multiple companies. On the bright side, direct deposit with Central works great. Except the money is often deposited before the voucher shows up on the central casting site, so you have no idea what it's for. You have to either wait for the payment confirmation from entertainment partners to show up on their site or arrive via US mail, which takes forever. Two other pieces of news. I attended two free workshops at Alliance Theater yesterday and today. Both were great. The first was focused on the Alexander Technique, which is a method of controlling your body, breathing, and voice. 
Morgan, the teacher, made videos of each of us at the start and end of the class to show how we had improved. She gave us a speech to memorize in two minutes and then present it to the class. That was kind of crazy, but I determined that the point of it was to tell a story with your body, voice, and breathing, and not try to remember all of the words. The second workshop was an introduction to acting, and the exercises were amazing and so much fun. I'm actually registered for a six-week class starting in January with Allison Gardner, who taught today's workshop, and I can't wait to get started. Just spending two hours with her today really opened up my mind to the possibilities. You don't learn anything about acting doing background work. And now that I've plateaued, it's time to move to the next level. Finally, I had a Zoom audition last night for something called Fondy's Love. Someone is turning this book into a movie. I have no idea how I found out about this because it's not being cast through any of the companies I work with. I do remember applying a few weeks ago, but have no record of what I sent in. I know that it was to play a character named Carl Briggers. Anyway, the slots all filled up, and they then asked me to send in the headshot. I guess they had lost mine, and then to call in at 8 p.m. for the audition. It was more of a conversation and job interview. I didn't have to really do any acting. The odd thing was neither of the women had their cameras on, so all I could do was hear them. Instead of Carl, Tiffany described two other roles she has in mind for me. She told me to download the book for free with my Amazon Prime account and read it over the weekend, and that she'd send me lines as well in preparation for a real audition on Monday. After the call, I was a bit confused because these are non-speaking roles, so I'm not sure why they'd want me to recite lines. Perhaps they'll consider a line or two based on how I sound. She did mention the director may throw my character one to two lines. The one thing she repeated over and over again was that I had to be able to show emotion. Nothing specific, just emotion. And finally, at one point, they asked me to do a Southern accent. I was so caught off guard and just blurted out my best Georgia accent, which they really liked. It actually sounds more like foghorn leghorn. I am a good old Georgia boy. But the other woman was from South Carolina and gave it a thumbs up. After the call, I found a great YouTube video put out by the Actors Academy that teaches you how to do something called an on-glide with your A's. As in, have you seen me make the cakes? Not have, but have. Not make, but make. And not cake, but cake. It's kind of a blurring of an A with an uh, as in U-H. I have lots of practicing to do. See ya! It's Monday, December 20th, 2021. The film and TV world in Atlanta is shutting down for Christmas. Saturday was the last day of filming on Ordinary Joe. It was fun playing a lawyer for the first time in Nurse World with Jenny as a budding law student. The Fulton County Court Building Complex is bizarre. Some 1980s weird atrium structure with a lot of glass, metal catwalks, and boring office space. Holden was even creepier. On MLK Drive at Peachtree is some abandoned old mall that was falling apart. Once again, someone tried to put us on a bus to travel all of a half a block. But after lunch, I convinced Josephina to just walk with me and discovered that 50 other people were following us. The only risk was that the doors might be locked when we got there. 
what they wanted. When we arrived, Montana was desperately looking for the prosecutors, and we had to break the news that they were on the bus, which hadn't yet arrived because it had to drive around the block, wait at stoplights, and sit in traffic. We finished at 11.30 p.m., but there were people there until 2 a.m. because that's what the timeout was on my voucher. Yay! Today is the big day for my audition for the speaking role in a movie set in the 19th century in the South. I spent 12 hours on set reciting the lines in my head in my best southern drawl. Today I am finishing the 250-page book so I know what the heck the story is about. It's actually very interesting, but I doubt I'll be finished by 8 p.m. when I have the audition. I think I know enough to answer any questions they might have of me. I have recorded myself speaking the line so I can hear how I sound. Have I gotten this southern drawl down yet or what? Sorry for putting you through this. It's Monday, December 27th, 2021. Happy holidays. I thought I'd take a minute to thank all my listeners for tuning in and recounting a little story for the day. When I do these film and TV projects, often it's something I've never heard of and I have to wait months for it to air. My intent is to watch only the episode I'm in just to see myself, but hey, that's pretty selfish. I'm usually not wowed enough to watch an entire series unless I have to. And the only reason for that would be because I don't know which episode I'm in. Recall that I had to sit through 10 episodes of Lovecraft Country only to realize my scene had been cut entirely. However, this time the reverse was true. I appear in episode two of Hawkeye, a Marvel show on Disney+. I'm walking in the snow past the two main characters and they eye me suspiciously as if I'm a threat. I couldn't see this when filming because I had already passed them, but both of them turn around and look at me. It's pretty funny to me, but what I didn't expect is that the show would be so interesting that I'd watch all six episodes. And now that I've recently run into two friends who are also in it, I have to watch it again just to find them. It's quirky and different and funny and not at all what I expected. And what they do with arrows is amazing. I know parts of it were filmed in Atlanta besides the scene I'm in. And what's fascinating is this crazy car chase into some Christmas trees. I had this feeling it was filmed in downtown Atlanta somewhere and kept looking for validation until I finally saw the unmistakable cylindrical Weston Hotel in the background for just a split second. Well, gotta go. I'm up to 15 Christmas movies this year and there are plenty more where those came from. The moral of the story is to not prejudge any of your projects until you see the final results. You may be pleasantly surprised. P.S. I also watched the entire six-episode series of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which, as usual, I did not really enjoy as much as Hawkeye. And sure enough, my appearance is in the very last five minutes of the last episode. Once again, I had to watch the entire series just to see this. Today is Sunday, January 2nd, 2022. Happy New Year! 
I decided to round up this episode with a little bit of information about doing independent and or student films. I have heard again and again that you should definitely explore doing these as a way to get more roles, especially ones with lines. If all you're doing is background work, the chances of you getting a line or two is slim to none. The advantage to doing independent films is that they don't have to pay real actors big bucks to act in them. Instead, they're willing to pay small bucks to people like you and me in return for giving us roles with lines. In some cases, you may get credits and or footage for your reel. So I began to explore this about a month ago. Aside from Fondi's love, and I am still waiting to hear back on that one, I applied to a post on Facebook a few weeks back. I said I could play any one of about five roles. Company CEO, IT guy, robot, dancing scene, truckers, and DOT officer. The guy finally replied on Christmas Day. He asked about my availability and I said I was pretty open all next week, but he wanted me the very next day. I couldn't do it. After a few more rounds of strange emails and texts, I finally answered my phone yesterday morning, which I don't normally do if I don't recognize the number. It was him. Aside from a very almost Jamaican accent, he is very hard to understand. I honestly thought the whole thing was a scam and that I'd end up robbed or dead somewhere in the focus of a big Dateline story. But that's not exactly what happened. First of all, if you're used to the formality and procedures around background acting, none of that exists with independent films, which is why they feel so sketchy. There is no casting company, no formal booking, no wardrobe, hair, or makeup, no check-in, no crafty, no vouchers, no payroll company, no real big cameras and crew, none of that. Just a few people making the film and whatever other actors are there. So he discussed two roles and said either 1 p.m. in Tucker or 3 p.m. in Lithia Springs. It turned out to be neither. It was 3 p.m. in Mableton as a DOT officer. He sent me the script. I printed out my lines, about three pages, and was able to memorize them within the hour. When I got to the address, whose number was 1245, there was no one there. It was the back of a giant strip mall. There were numbered buildings across the street at 1233 and 1251, but no 1245. Normally, all the odd numbers are on the same side. The sketchiness factor went through the roof. I texted and called him, and he said he'd come get me, but 15 minutes later, I was ready to just leave. They were actually filming on the side of the building, but he had no idea what the cross street was and was trying to direct me where to go without this. He finally sent me his location from his iPhone and I found them. A big semi with a chicken in the back and maybe 10 people hanging out in cars in the parking lot. They immediately decided that instead of me being a Department of Transportation officer, they wanted me to play a bad guy. There was no place to change into my suit, so I did that in my car. I left the jacket off and they gave me a black hoodie. There was no restroom, so I walked around the building to a desolate courtyard area and peed behind a bush. Oh, and then they tried to hand me a gun. After everything that just happened on the set of Rust with Alec Baldwin, are you kidding me? Here's the gun with no cartridge and we want you to point it at two people and pretend to shoot them. Is this for real? It was. I know I have said in a prior episode how uncomfortable I am around guns, but here I was being told that this was the deal. I finally got over it after telling them I was not going to pull the trigger. But of course, that's also what Alex Baldwin didn't do, and look at the mess he's in. It was definitely a crazy moment of me thinking, 
This is how intelligent people make stupid split-second decisions that can quickly ruin their lives. It felt so Mickey Mouse, especially when I could hear the filmmaker and director discussing what scene to do next and how to do it, as if nothing was planned out at all, and they were just making it up as they went along. This explained why there was so much fluidity in the schedule. It felt as if they just randomly shoot whatever scene they can based on who can show up at a certain location at a specific time on the day of the shoot. We finally filmed my scene. I just had to play on my phone since that was tracking what I was looking for and then open the semi-door, pull the gun on them, and yell, not in my city. We filmed in it only a few times and then did it again from other angles. The only notes I got were to have my hands jerk back as part of the shooting and put the emphasis on the word city instead of my. A while later, they asked me to drive a big white pickup truck as fast as I could without losing control. I had to stop it so the tip of the hood landed at the midpoint of the semi. The first time I did it, I hit the gas too hard and peeled out making a lot of noise. Once we stopped filming that, they brought in the person I had fakely shot to stand in front of the truck and fall to the ground. Then we were done. Someone else showed up at the last minute to be in a scene they were filming elsewhere. I casually asked how they were going to pay me and they said cash, but the director didn't have enough. So he had to scrounge from the filmmaker for $20, which he didn't have on him. So he took down my information and promised to sell it to me within the hour. I have yet to receive it. He is currently texting me about filming today, but he needs a person with a dog and Cameron is not interested. The chicken on the truck was the highlight of my day. I finally got close enough to talk to it and make a video of it stepping around gingerly. And only then did I realize one of its legs was tethered to the inside of the truck so it wouldn't get away. So that was my New Year's Day adventure and I'm sure I'll have many more of these to tell as I venture away from the background work to do speaking roles with less established filmmakers. I'm warning you, but I'm also telling you to try it for yourself. Oh, and I finally paid a discounted rate for both backstage and actors access as a Christmas gift to myself. The backstage app is fantastic. I paid only $75 for the year. Actors access is 68. And my acting class at Alliance Theater starts Tuesday. I am psyched. That's all for this episode. Tune in again for more of the Background Scoop, where I discuss background acting here in Atlanta. Hope you're learning and getting some BG roles of your own. Feel free to reach out with your questions, which I'll try to answer in a future episode, or tell me a story about your own experience, and I may choose to interview you. See the episode notes for how to reach out, and if you like what you've heard, please rate the podcast. Thanks for listening.